My friend Chris Holdorf recently brought in a StoryBrand private workshop to help clarify the message that his organization has been trying to tell for decades. Listen to him explain the transformation he saw after spending just a couple short days going through the process with our team. So we spent a day and a half with StoryBrand in a workshop. And the question is, what did we get out of it? And here's what we came to. In one and a half days, NCF accomplished what it hasn't been able to do in 37 years. And that is to be able to boil down who we are and what we do in one concise message. We love StoryBrand. At StoryBrand, we know it can feel super challenging just to explain to people what you do, but we've seen thousands of businesses transform their messaging and redefine the way they talk about their products and services, just like Chris. If you would like to take your team through a StoryBrand private workshop, that is, one of our facilitators comes to you and gets everybody on the same page with the same message, go to storybrand.com slash private workshops. That's storybrand.com slash private workshops and book a private workshop today. Your team will never be the same. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. Good to be with you today. And with you. J.J., today's <laughs> yes. topic okay. in the form of a question. Mm-hmm. When you retire, yes. what are you going to do? <sighs> will you? I think I'll eventually like teach a class or two. Like that will be down the line. My my retirement years will be spent like teaching an online course or being a visiting professor. Yes. Um so I don't know if I'll Very ever good. fully retire. However, and making movies, of course, I want to make movies. But if I had the cash for retirement, I think I would spend a lot of time doing projects that had short-term delivery, like a movie or something that I could go in and work on for a month, and then I'm going to travel the rest of the time. I would do kind of like short projects, teaching a class for a semester, and then travel. And then do a movie, travel. So sort of a semi-retirement. Yeah, it keeps me busy, keeps me active, creative, and then just like travel, 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 travel. My C plan. Uh I've got the A retirement retirement plan, which is not to retire at all. <laughs> not to retire, just work the, till the you drop. The B retirement plan, and probably the C retirement plan yeah. would be living somewhere near Lipscomb University, Okay, going over and teaching a business class uh-huh. on marketing Yeah, as an old man. There's probably a no smoking policy on campus, uh-huh. and then the security would know to look the other way because I'd be smoking a pipe. A pipe. <laughs> <laughs> can we co-teach that together? You can, absolutely. Can we, can we? Oh, that would be so fun. That would be so fun. And nobody would learn anything. No. It would just be so fun. Yeah. That's really because yeah. you would show up with your pipe. I would show up with a different cardigan and be really happy about it, like each time. And that would really be what the entire class would be about. This whole idea of retirement. First of all, you don't think about this in your 20s and 30s. No, no. did you? No, not at all. You think about your 40s, right? Yep. Which is, it's not too late. But, yeah, but it's beautiful of to be. compounding interest as <laughs> yeah. you get started when you're 20, in your 20s. Yeah. And no, you know what he does. Like, yeah, yeah. One is I've realized the decisions that I've made more recently in the last five years mm-hmm. is going to dramatically affect my retirement. Yeah. For instance, yeah. like Betsy and I are building a house. and mm-hmm. It's a house. It's a guest house. It's, mm-hmm. She's one of seven, the oldest of seven. Her mom is one of nine. I think her dad's one of eight. Yeah. <laughs> so we have hundreds of overnight yes. guests. And we're literally building a house and a guest house 
that has seven bedrooms and then these little hidden bunk rooms for yeah. children. Uh-huh. There's 19 total beds. I've also claimed one of them as my own. Yes. You can I just one. keep calling it JJ's room. Yes. And then you you know, you know have to feed these people. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just say, we'll do Postmates or yeah. everybody's on their own. Yeah. And then on and on and on. And then the property taxes on that. And, yeah. and so I'm sitting there going, I'm going to need an endowment to just pay <laughs> for the property taxes on the land. So it's not just the land. And the, and the business. Yeah, and yeah. then the business. That's expensive. And then I married a woman who's wonderful, beautiful, love of my life, soulmate, 12 years younger than me. Well, the average man lives 10 years younger than the average woman. So that's 22 <laughs> years that I need to take care of my wife. After I'm Betsy dead. Because she's, she's going to travel with me. Betsy travel. and I are going to travel together. And that's what's going to happen. She, she and her, her second husband are going to need an income. <laughs> yes. I would appreciate being treated by Betsy to travel. She and I get along very well. So so this number has grown an astronomical. And that's made me go, oh, what are we doing? Yeah. And so I've had to think about this. Yeah. And this whole journey, we laugh. Mm-hmm. It's dead serious. Yeah, like yeah. I love my wife. Yeah. And there could be... Hopefully she doesn't ever hear this. It could be 20 years where she has given her life to me and her heart to me and her career, and we're going to have kids, and we're going to raise those kids. And I stole her from a great uh, advertising it. firm Stop in D.C., it. and she, and now I'm like, <laughs> what are we going to do? And, of course, you know, I'm the type who to worry about things 25 years before yeah, they need yeah. to be worried about. But at the same time, that's made me go, how much money are we putting away? What are we doing? So, yep. I mean, it's amazing. Like yep. a week after I got married, I'm sitting down filling out a life insurance thing, getting yep. health inspection, stuff you never think about because yeah. all of a sudden somebody depends on you. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who are listening who 10 years ago is when they had that awakening and they're yeah. right in the middle of it. And so this whole journey has made me friends with Josh Robbins. And Josh Robbins helps run a company called America's Best 401k. This is Tony Robbins' son. Mm-hmm. And so they actually bought into this company together. What's amazing, though, is Josh and I kind of got to know each other on that front. But then also all the economic work I've done on this economic think tank that some of you have heard about basically is very hard to understand idea. There's a bunch of nuance in it, and I get into it in the interview. But the middle class is really being ripped off in the tax code, and the middle class is being ripped off by the financial sector, mostly through the tax code. Mm-hmm. But Josh said, that's just the beginning. Wait till you see what they're doing with everybody's 401k. And I went, oh, no. Uh, And he told me. (laughs) And I said, okay, we got to have him on. Now, I will say, Josh runs a company. He's going to talk about 401k. I don't get a piece of that. This is not an infomercial. This is literally just to say, here's a guy who understands it, and here's what's happening to your retirement. He's going to get in numbers, but you could retire with like $2.5 million in the bank. And because of fees and different things that are happening to your 401k, you could get half of that, Yeah. depending on how you invest or what you do. The system is not helping us pay attention. Yeah. I would say you're not paying attention, but that's unfair. Yeah. You're trusting, which is a really great value of you and a great characteristic, but that characteristic may be costing you a lot of money. Yeah. And so Josh kind of gets it into it today. So we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about setting retirement goals. We're going to talk about how the 401k actually works and talk about how the stock market works a little bit and then what you need to do to set yourself up to win and also not get screwed. Yeah. We were having lunch talking about it and a buddy of mine came up who runs a company to say hi and he had just the day before closed a 401k deal for his entire company <laughs> and he, and everybody was getting hosed. And he's like immediately like, hey, I just did this. I just did it. I feel so good. I'm taking care of it. And his jaw dropped <laughs> when he found out what's actually happening. You know, the, the hard thing about a topic like this is you really process your future self as a whole other person. Yeah. You don't process it as you. 
you process as bad as somebody who have you the affinity of like your uncle. Yeah. And so you care about your uncle, but you're not going to sit down and go through his retirement plan and make sure it's all. And literally, this is you. You will wake up someday and be yeah. affected by this. It's super important just to have the discipline to get it right. So today is all about checking that off your list, getting your retirement right, making sure you have enough money in the future. And our guest is son of Tony Robbins. Tony wrote a book about managing finances and investments and all that stuff to show what's actually happening. Josh is his partner in this. It's really a fantastic interview. Very fast friends. I really, really like this yeah. guy. Uh, yeah, I really, really like him, and I just loved hanging out with him. Love Again, it. if you start to think, uh, the cynical side of you, that this sounds like an infomercial, I totally understand. <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm with you. I would think this is an infomercial. You got to, I'm making zero money on this. Yeah. This is all about... It's just for people to really start thinking about things maybe they haven't thought about, because I'm that way, right? Like, I, I have investments, but I honestly don't really pay attention to them. I don't know what's going on with yeah. them, and I should. You know, and this helps me at least kind of focus where my questions need to be. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Anyway, here's my conversation about your retirement and your 401k with Josh Robbins. Josh, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. I love this topic. I hate this topic and I love it (laughs) because I love it because there's hope, but I hate it because most people don't realize they're really getting screwed and forgive me for using such harsh language there uh, but, you know you know one of the things that i discovered working with a guy named joe ritchie who is a he made a bunch of money on the commodities exchange in chicago now he's become a financial advisor and a financial thinker and he and we've helped him with some messaging he really and me too really have been burdened about what's going on in the middle class Yeah, sure middle class has gone from the nixon era to now the average middle class family has taken a ten thousand dollar pay cut when you adjusted for inflation hmm. And so we look at the economy, the economy is booming. Middle class is big, but shrinking a little bit. The most successful middle class in the history of the world, which is important because if you really want to affect poverty, make a bigger middle class. Yep, absolutely. But they're getting screwed. And even our listeners, a lot of them run companies. They're probably in the 1%. Yep. And yet they're paying 37 to 39% in taxes. And a hedge fund guy is paying 11. And he's, he's actually not paying 11. He's paying 11 only on what he pulls out of his fund. That's right. So he's not paying 11 on his revenue. He's paying 11 on what he spends. That's right. The old carried interest provision. <laughs> so he's he's actually paying about 5%. And here's what people don't understand. We're going to get to you in a second here because this is how you're going to help everybody listening not get screwed. That's right. The reality is the people who are making 1%, my listeners, who are you know making that quarter million, 500,000, whatever they run a company, they are job creators. If you give them more money, they're going to scale up their company. They're going to grow their company. And if they have to pay that money to the government, they're going to be doing that much, much more slowly. You know, the whole reason to incentivize Wall Street is to incentivize capital at risk and grow the economy. That makes complete sense. However, if my hedge fund buddy, my Wall Street buddy, is paying 11% only on what he spends, and I'm paying 39% on everything that I make... That's an incredible discrepancy, and the assumption is he's creating jobs and I'm not, and it's not true. Absolutely not. In fact, if you actually incentivize me and all my listeners, if you switch that and you say, not switch it necessarily, but raise their taxes from 11 to 15%, because I still believe we have to incentivize, I still believe in trickle-down economics. Don't hear me, I'm not Bernie Sanders. Sure. Raise this from 11 to 15, take everybody listening from 37 or 39 to 30, and then even more if they'll provide a job, right? So if you're going to hire somebody and pay them $75,000 and keep them employed for at least two years, I think you should be able to write off 100000 In other words, you get a $25,000 tax credit for that first two years. That will incentivize job creation. Sure, love that. 
And then on the other side, if my Wall Street buddy is only paying 11%, the reality is we are incentivizing capital in the New York Stock Exchange. And the New York Stock Exchange has foreign companies in it. That's true. So if there's a Chinese company, and there are many on the New York Stock Exchange, you are incentivizing the growth of a Chinese company. The money from the Chinese company buys a Chinese tank. And hires Chinese people. <laughs> That's right. I'm not buying any Chinese tanks. So in that sense, trickle-down economics has a flaw, and that flaw is costing everybody who is listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. That's part one. Part two is you, everybody listening, and all of our employees are putting their hope in their retirement package, their 401k. That's right. And the financial services industry is you know, very heavily regulated, but there are loopholes allowing them to take a chunk of your retirement. So on the big picture, the middle class is getting screwed in the tax code. And then even in the smaller, your personal financial portfolio, you're getting screwed by loopholes the financial services industry has created. Here's the story. Really wealthy people who don't pay a lot of taxes get Congress elected and create laws that have them pay less taxes. And those laws also allow them to take more and more of fees and percentages out of your retirement, and nobody notices because the math is too complicated. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's the frog in the boiling water. That's a long intro to yeah. a whole world, and the point is this. You're getting screwed by a whole financial services industry. They're not all awful people. No, Can we say that? They're not. And, no. and we help a lot of financial advisors. They're wonderful people. And they're still giving you a huge, a big retirement and all that kind of stuff. There are just things they're taking out that, that you can go another route and not have those things taken out. Yeah, I mean, every business owner understands alignment, right? You want to have alignment in your deal structures with your employees. And there's just a complete misalignment in the way that our financial services industry works. Yeah. So let me give you some, let's talk about the 401k you know, okay. for just a minute. The 401k is a 30-year-old industry, effectively, right? It came about in the early 80s. When that, that's kind of amazing, too. A lot of people, yeah. they think it's been around for, you know, since the Civil War, like right. life insurance and all that. It hasn't. <laughs> no, it's, it's very young. It's relatively young. And 401k, it, explain again, because you talked to me earlier, it's basically a piece of tax code. Yeah, it's a piece of tax code that, you know, back in the early 80s, we used to have pensions, right? You used to be able to, you know, retire, get your gold watch and your paycheck every month. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you work for the federal government, that's probably not you, and you're probably not listening to this podcast. Right. But so what happened is, is that, you know, basically the, the C-suite executives wanted a way to put more money away tax deductibly. So they created this new piece of tax code, the 401k. And then people got wise to it and said, wow, we could do this across all employees. And it became a very popular very quick. And then companies said, well, why don't we just use this instead of the pensions, because then we'll have no obligation to pay anything in the future. And everybody's financial future is dependent on their own des- desire to save. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing for business owners. It is. People say the 401k is broken. It's not broken. The narrative is broken. The alignment and the compensation models are broken. So get this. For the first 30 years, by the way, this is a $6 trillion market. What I mean is Americans have $6 trillion of their hard-earned savings in 401k plans. It's their second That's largest That's as big asset. as, if I'm not mistaken, about more than 25% of the GDP of That's the right. whole country. That's right. It's their second biggest asset to their home. Wow. So these 80 million Americans are relying on their 401k to be there for them in the future. Right. Right. And they're forfeiting a huge percentage of their nest egg. The difference here, and this is why I love talking to business owners, is that they don't have the option to make a choice to get out of their 401k plan. It's you, the business owner, that gets to help them. It's you that gets to choose to make a change if you need to make a change to help them, because otherwise they're at the whims of your decisions. Right. Let's just look at a little bit of history here. So for the first 30 years of existence, not until 2012, 
did the 401k providers have to disclose to you how much they were taking out of your account? Hmm. 30 years. I mean, what other industry they, would they, this? So literally, like, you know, you're putting in X amount per month. Yep. Let's say you're being really, really financially sure. You're putting in 500 bucks a month or something like that. Yep. And they don't have to disclose to you that they're taking 50 of that or No, they didn't have to disclose. No. Nope. They don't have to tell you. No. Nope. And a lot of them took- Even in small print somewhere? Nope. Not until 2012. Can they change it without you knowing they changed it? They actually can now, yeah. In certain ways, they can change certain <laughs> revenue models, absolutely. So ima- imagine <laughs> yeah, imagine the business that you're in. We've got a lot of plumbers. We've got a lot of real estate people. Sure. Imagine you being able to just go into somebody's account without them knowing it. It's not even their checking guys. It's an account they're not really looking at. Well, that's the key. So it's out of sight, out of mind, and they're going in. I used the analogy earlier while we were having lunch of, the grandpa who hides his money in his mattress and somebody's going into the mattress and taking money out without him knowing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's happening to you. You're just not laying on the mattress yet. That's right. But that's your mattress fund. 100%. And somebody's dipping into it. Yeah, and, that, and it's legal. It, it is, is not illegal. It is legal. And here's the issue going back to, we talked about alignment and loopholes. Our country is unique in that we have a system that doesn't require financial advisors to be a fiduciary, meaning... Yeah, explain this, because I only learned this a few years ago. A fiduciary advisory is legally obligated to tell you pretty much everything. Yeah, they're legally required to put your interest first, right? So that would be the same as a doctor... Or a lawyer, like if your doctor, you know, you, you you walk in and he prescribes a medicine, then he goes and whips it up in the back and sells you the medicine, that probably wouldn't be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you've got doctors, lawyers, CPAs, they're all required to be a fiduciary. Put your interest first. That's all that really means. Um, and our financial services industry doesn't require that. It's called suitability is what they require. And suitability just means it generally fits the parameters, right, of you and your risk tolerance and things like that. But what when do you want something suitable, right? Do you want a suitable yeah. relationship, a suitable car? Right. No, you want the best, right? The best is for you. And let's just break this down to brass tacks. When we say the 401k system is broken, mm-hmm. is this what they're talking about? If I'm your financial advisor, I may know for a fact that if you're going to give me $5,000 a month, that's an extreme amount, but if you're going to give me $5,000, I could do this with it and make you a ton of money. But if I do this with it, I'm going to make you considerably less money, but I'm going to make more money. That's right. And I make that decision on your behalf without ever telling you about this other thing that would make you a lot more money. That's exactly right. And, and Any financial advisor can do that, but a fiduciary cannot. That's exactly right. Okay. Most financial advisors work for big brand names, right? You see their names on you know, golf tournaments and blimps and, and stadiums. And I'll say this, the actual advisor that you're talking to is actually a really great guy who's not actually out on a yacht. No, it's not the, at all. Yeah, they're actually operating at your best interest, hopefully. They're trying to, but remember- but the products they're, that they're able to sell- That's right. They're what, in the confines of a system where what they can offer you is actually incentivized to make the company they work for more money. because, And that's what they should do because they're most of them are publicly traded. So they're actually trying to increase their share price, right? Right. So they can't also hold your interest at the same time above their own. They literally, if they're a publicly traded company, they are responsible to the shareholder. That's right. To make more money, not to you to give you the best value. That's now, right. Now, there is a dance there because you're going to go out of business if you don't give great value to your clients. We're not talking about awful value versus great value. We're talking about good value versus great value and who's taking a cut. Yeah, I think sometimes it's awful value, but most of it's... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's, you know, they, they try to have good value. Yeah. I think most people, unfortunately, aren't have no idea how to assess value when it comes to financial services. Yeah. Right? So, you know, their typical 
financial advisor experiences to go, you know, they shove them in a bunch of mutual funds and they meet with them once a year to talk about how it went. Okay. Right? I would say that that's not, that's not what you're looking for. Yeah. If that's your experience, by the way, what I would suggest is finding someone who's a comprehensive advisor, someone who can do estate planning, tax work, Wills and trust. Uh, wills and trust. Your insurance, you know, looking at your umbrella policies, looking at every aspect of your financial life, letting that inform your investment strategy and not having a dog in the fight as to what they're going to recommend for you yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It takes a minute to sometimes find those guys. What question do we want to ask our financial advisor to find out if they're really operating in our best interest? Yeah, there's two questions. One, I would ask them if they are a registered investment advisor. A registered investment advisor is someone who is obligated to look out for your best interest. Is that the same as a, a, a fiduciary? fiduciary? Yep, that's okay. that's the technical word for a fiduciary. And what percentage are registered investment advisors? About 11% of all the financial advisors in America are- 89% are not. That's correct. Wow. That's correct. But then what really kind of gets disheartening is that there's actually a method for some of those to register also as a broker. So get this, in one conversation, they could be wearing the fiduciary hat, and then the next conversation, they can actually put on their broker hat and sell you a product. Those are actually, I think, the worst. That's the most dangerous. Because they're actually posing as fiduciaries, but then they sure. can... They can make a commissionable I mean, product if, and record. How do you ever take off a fiduciary hat, though? How do they, what, what? It's in the fine print as to how they do it. It's a legal gray area that just shouldn't exist. Right. Let's just say that. You should be in one And the reason the, the law doesn't change is because the people aren't getting these people elected. It's always follow the money, right? It all comes back to compensation. Yeah. Right? So if you look at the... Going back to the 401k for a second, look at the 401k... The way that a 401k is sold to a business owner is usually through a local broker, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody knows, you know, you know the guy, roommate, you know, college roommate or whatever it might be. He's the local broker. And that broker wants to get paid. And most advisors don't have a lot of 401k plans that they're working with. So they want to get paid, let's say, 1% right, every year on, on the plan. And then on top of that, then the, then the firm who sold it, the provider, they're going to make money. They're going to make anywhere between half a percent and 1%. Yeah. And then the funds inside the plans are usually ones that the provider has built. They have their name on them. Yeah. Right, the ABC fund offered by the ABC company, and they're making money there too. So you might have two percent of unnecessary fees that you're paying every year. And now you might say, "Well, that's not very much." Well, let me give yeah, you the math. At the end of distribution, yeah, that's give, a million bucks. Let's just say, yeah, let's look at that math. So if you're 25 years old and you contribute ten thousand dollars a year until you're 65, right? Typical retirement savings. If you get a seven percent return, let's just say you get a seven percent return, which is average over uh, yeah, the S and P's done about ten percent, yeah, you know, over the past eighty years. But seven percent might be a more balanced portfolio, right? If you're just going to be a little bit more low risk, yeah, a little bit more low risk, not as volatile. And we'll talk about understanding volatility in a, in a little bit too. That account by age sixty five would grow to two point two million dollars, which is pretty exciting when you think about it. Ten thousand a year is yeah, because you can you, from sixty five to eighty five. You know, if you live that long, sure, you can actually. Live off partly the interest, but then actually take fifty, seventy thousand out of that a That's year, right. and you can live. You're going to live comfortably. That's right, you really can, comfortably. You can you can pull it off. Now, if I'm in a situation that I just described, where I've got two percent of fees coming off the top, so I get my seven percent, but then I got two percent of fees. I really have five left over, and if that five percent at five percent, my account balance is not two point two million; it's one point three million. <laughs> so I've given up. You know, almost and, 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 and let me translate this. This is what we just told my buddy who runs a company and just set up his 401k. We said, you've got 80 employees. All 80 of them are probably going to retire with a million less dollars just based on the 401k that you yeah. chose. Most business owners have no idea their fee structures. And more importantly, they care. You know, we just came upstairs here and you walk by your large staff and you could tell you care for them. They care for you. You care about your employees. 
And so business What's hard owners, about this is my employees, I'm because we're going to do a 401k. Yep. I'm going to match. I'm going to do all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they're young. They're living in the moment. You process your future self as another human being. Yeah. So it's very hard to emotionally tie to your future self. That is That's true. why we make stupid financial decisions. We're, I'm going to make the decisions for them. I'm going to set them up. I'm going to be dead for 25 years before they wake up one day and say, thank God for Don Miller. That's right. That's right. Another thankless job. You know, but here's, here's an interesting thing that we didn't discuss offline on, which I think is actually crucial. You as the business owner, if you have a 401k in place, most likely your thought process is, you know what? I set that up for them. I checked the box. They should be happy. All right. right. We're matching. What you don't understand is that the Department of Labor says that you are the, what's known as the plan sponsor. And you know what that means? You are liable to benchmark that plan against other options periodically. Oh, you're kidding. I got to no. go and find out whether or not, hopefully my broker would be doing that, no, right? No, 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 no. They're, they're not, not interested. No. They're not in... Why would I show you other options that are cheaper if I was your broker? So what does that mean? That mean like, can they sue my estate 20 years after I'm dead? No, no. The Department of Labor actually... Uh, <laughs> Steven, stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> Our producer yeah, yeah. is in his mid-20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> earmuffs, earmuffs. Earmuffs. <laughs> so what you get is you get Department of Labor auditors that are coming in and looking at plans, and there are a litany. All you got to do is Google 401k lawsuits, and you will see that companies are being sued left and right over excessive fees in their plan because they didn't take action. And because the and class action lawsuits are all over this because the, they want the employees so to go is, after it, the employer. So this is so messed up. It is <laughs> legal for the 401k provider to take these fees and percentages. That's right. And it's illegal for me to buy them and run them for my people because no, no. they're getting screwed? There's not. a fine if you're not paying attention to the plan and doing all the, quote, compliance things that are important for the plan to be done. And most of the time, one of those things is benchmarking the plan. So I can promise you- 90- Who does that? Is that the HR director? Is that uh, the CFO who's doing it? Yeah, that? you can find- Yeah, exactly. Someone in your organization, you can hire a fiduciary advisor to do that. We, Our company does that. We benchmark you know, people's plans for free to uncover their fees and see if there's an opportunity. Yeah, switch. we're going to talk about that in a second because sure. there's an opportunity for everybody to do So that. yeah, there's ways in which you can do that. You can hire a consultant to do that. But most people don't. Most people, you know, they just trust that the what the broker sold them was, you know, a decent plan. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it is. wild. So you, so you start to unpack this thing, and I could most business owners get pretty exasperated that they're even having to deal with this because they're busy. They're trying to run their business, but at the same time, it's a hard reality that we got to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. For full disclosure, Josh is part of a company called America's Best Four Hundred One K. That's right. And you actually do 401ks, but we don't do business with you. Nope. We, we may in the future, but we don't. I don't get anything if somebody signs up for your thing. I literally just needed you to come on and explain how people are getting screwed because we're going to go into, here's what we think you should do. Yeah. And I don't want to deceive my audience into thinking this is an infomercial. You have a product that you want to sell. Sure. It's good. So just everybody just know that as you hear what Josh talks about, because yeah, you're yeah. not trying to sell it. You're trying to tell everybody, here's how you're getting screwed. Let me ask you this though. What should we be doing now? How should we be planning our retirement? What are the things that we should be doing right now if I'm thinking about my future? Yeah, I think, look, whether you're a business owner or an employee, you've got it. You know, many people are asking the question, is the game winnable? Yeah. Right? And I think, I think there's a number of things that you need to do. Number one is you've got to harness the power of compounding. So this is something that I think- Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. Yeah. And most people know this. They just don't do it. Right? It's like right. knowing you need to exercise, but not doing it is not going to get you the result that you need. Harnessing the power of compounding is crucial because I don't think you're going to earn your way to freedom, meaning you might earn a great living, but uh, as most of us know, a lot of times when we earn more, it's interesting how our lifestyles increase. And you're talking about freedom being the day you no longer have to work. Each person probably can define freedom for what they want. That right. might be spending more time with their kids. That might be working because they want to, not because they have to. Yeah. 
something more practical, covering you know all their core expenses, and then they pick up all their entertainment. I mean, you could have different you know levels of financial freedom, whatever that is for you. But I think ultimately, the first thing you got to do is harness this power of compounding. I shared with these numbers earlier with you, and I said, you know, a lot of people they want to be a millionaire, but they said, well, that's impossible, right? I earn forty thousand or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand a year. How do I get to a million? Or some of your more successful business owners say, how do I get to four or five million? You know, my right. investment account. But if you start early, I'll give you another example using the same seven percent. If you're thirty years, I'm sorry, if you're twenty years old, you only need to set aside thirty two hundred dollars a year to have a million dollars in your retirement account at age. This 65. is something we got to teach our kids. Hundred I mean, percent. Yeah. We don't teach personal finance in college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We this probably is don't the want first them calculating check. This their is student the loans. first quote unquote check you write every month. This is three hundred fifty bucks. That's right. You got to pay yourself, retirement. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I always say you got to tax your future self. People say I can't afford it. Well, if the government came and instituted a new ten percent tax today, we'd bitch and moan, but we'd pay it, right? Right. You got to figure it out. So the same, you got to treat your future self the same way. If you're thirty, you need to contribute sixty-seven hundred dollars a year, about five hundred dollars a month. Okay. If you're forty, now you're a little bit more behind the gun in terms of time. Now it's fourteen thousand a year you got to contribute, and if you're fifty, it's thirty-seven thousand. Well, that's an enormous because it's enormous. The, and the, what we're decreasing is the compound interest that's over right. time. That's right. It's that hockey stick curve. You know, you can't see yeah. it here, but you know that hockey stick is that the way that compounding works. And, and don't listen to these numbers and think, okay, well, I, I can't do that, so I'm going to do nothing. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, you may have to need to pay down some debt first. You may do some other things, and you may need to catch up a little bit later. I would even say, as you're paying down debt, though, you've got to be putting money into your retirement. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's you not do, because it's choice. really about creating habits. That's right, and you need to have money that's working for you. I call it, it, Stephen and I just recorded a Business Made Simple video the other day called How to Get Rich, which I felt weird recording that (laughs) because I grew up standing in line for government cheese, right? But one of the things that you figure out over time is the work that you're doing, the job that you're doing right now, you do to get a paycheck. And if you learn that a percentage of that paycheck needs to go to buy the store, that's what I call it, buying the store. And the store is whatever. It's a couple duplexes. It's some investment accounts. It's your 401k. It's the thing that makes you money without working. That's right. That's how you get rich. You take a percentage of your money and you buy something that will make you money without working. And you start small. You start with 100 bucks a month. As you make more, you get 500 bucks a month. Betsy and I think of it in percentages. So a percentage of the money we make, we put it in investment accounts. And then as we make more and more money, that percentage, my paycheck actually doesn't get any bigger. Well, we gave ourselves a raise a couple of years ago, but you know the company's exploded. We have yeah. a lot more money, and we started with ten percent of our money is going to go to investment accounts. That w- and I started late, right? I started at forty. I'm one of these guys, like half the listeners, who <laughs> oh, no, I'm so yeah, yeah. late. Started ten percent. We're up to ninety five percent of our money now goes to the store. Amazing. You know, we live fine. I don't have a boat or any of that stuff. But the whole idea is, I would like to retire somewhere around fifty five and just go into some sort of civil service, some sort of serve the world. Sure. At that point, I got, I'm going to burn money every year and not make any. So God has provided this way to do that. And I think that's the way everybody needs to understand it, is just take a percentage, start with 5%, move it to 10 As you get raises, give yourself only a small percentage of the raise that you just got and put the rest into the store that's going to make you money. That's right. It's rich dad, poor dad stuff. Sure. What a great book. Yeah, I think 15% is probably what people should be targeting at a minimum. Yeah. But if they need to start at five, they need to start at five. Yeah. The key is the habit. The key is the habit. And every year ratchet it up. It's amazing how we adjust, right? Uh, we adjust 100%, to the, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. unbelievable how we adjust. And I think there's a mental shift that needs to happen for most of us to move from consumers to owners. Yeah. 
right? So I love that. Yeah. Okay. So so explain that. You talked to me earlier. It's a great mental shift. Most of us are probably think of ourselves as consumers. That's well, right. actually, most of our listeners, at least half of them, don't. They are creators. They create jobs. They create products. All that kind of stuff. But a lot of us are just living kind of hand to mouth. We get money, and then we think, well, the way I'm going to get rich is I'm going to get a bigger paycheck, which is partly true, but only if you give a bigger paycheck and get a bigger chunk of that money to the store that eventually is going to make you money without working. Not to BMW. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Buy a used truck. That's right. And the reality is you know, we're working for somebody else. We get a bigger paycheck, and we think, well, I'll never start a business. I'm not wired to start a business. I'll never own a business. And you're saying, no, 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 you actually can. You can tomorrow. That's right. You can I own think, a percentage of a business. That's right. I, I think most of us are, uh, like we said, we're consumers. If we have to shift to being an owner, right? I don't need to just own an iPhone. I need to own Apple. I don't need to just have Amazon boxes show up at my door every day. I need, I need to, to own, own Amazon. Amazon. And people sometimes think of the stock market as some sort of lottery ticket instead of saying, no, these are actual pieces of operating businesses that I get to own. And today, more than ever, are more accessible to us. In five minutes, you can open up an account on your phone for free and own a piece of American capitalism. There's a lot of rhetoric right now around hatred for capitalism, and it's just totally misguided. Capitalism isn't effective for you if you're just a consumer, right? You need to be an owner so you can participate in capitalism. And so, and I think that's the beautiful thing. You don't need to start a business, and you don't need to hit a home run. If we just looked at those numbers that we talked about, you just need to be consistent, patient, and harness the power of your mind as well, because fear is one of those things that can absolutely derail. So you can actually own a business tomorrow. It's just a piece of a bunch of other businesses, that's right. and that's your portfolio, and that's, that's right. a great way to think about it. That's right. And, and you want to be a little bit careful. You talk about some stocks that Coca-Cola is a good stock. Amazon is likely a good stock right now. Apple's always been consistent. And then here's the other mentality that people are going to have. They're going to say, well, everything has peaked, and I'm too late. I need to go find the unsafe stock right now that's going to explode. I need to find Apple before it becomes Apple. It's actually not true. When you actually look at global data, Amazon, Apple, Coca-Cola, all those, the upside is still enormous because of what's happening all over the world. Yeah, that's true. And I think most people, if you look at people who try to time the market, who got out, let's say, in 08 or 09, they got scared out of the market and they missed out on a 300% So their stocks dove. Right. And then they got all their money, they put it into gold. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Buried it in the backyard. Horrific investment, by the way. (laughs) Um, Because to your point, just I'll I'll finish the gold thought because I'm sure the gold bugs out there got angry when I said that, Mm. is that I try to look for investments that pay you something, right? So, you know, a company pays you in dividends, real estate, it's income producing is a great, you know, your home is not an investment, doesn't pay you anything, it's a liability. Right. Uh, So gold doesn't pay you anything. Uh, and it's been a horrible inflation-adjusted investment. Over well, let's time. go back to the home thing because it, it sort of pays you something in increased equity. The problem is you're always going to need a place to live. I and think so everybody you're selling, should. You just That's break right. even. So if I came to you and I said, "Hey, I've got an investment opportunity for you. It doesn't earn a consistent rate of return. It's entirely illiquid, and we won't know what we're going to make on it till we sell it later on." Are you interested? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's home equity, right? right. So. Obviously, a home's an emotional purchase. I own a home. Don't deceive yourself into it. it's a great investment. It's different if it's a duplex that you bought. hundred percent. Because now right. you're counting the equity and you're counting the dollars. That's in right. The it's paying me to live there. Right. You know, homes and a lot of people look at the appreciation of their home. I bought it for a million. It's worth a million five. I made five. Well, how much did it cost you along the way in property taxes and ownership right. costs? I mean, interest costs. People never take that into account. Right. Right. They just say, my house is worth $200,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, How much interest have you paid on that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over what period of time? Has it, even, and, it, it keeps up with inflation mostly. Yeah, it's actually, if you, there's a Schiller index that looks at home prices over the last 100 years adjusted for inflation, and it's, it's pretty dismal. Yeah. It's pretty low.
I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Josh Robbins in just a moment. Hey, if you want to retire with a lot of money, you got to make a lot of money. And if you want to make a lot of money, you got to clarify your message. That's what StoryBrand is about. We've seen it be the, just the number one thing anybody can do to scale up their company is get a clear message so that customers can really understand exactly what it is that you offer. Essentially, what you want to do in your marketing is guide your customers through an exercise in memorization. You are helping them memorize why you matter to them and why they should spend money with you. If you want to get your marketing clear and you want a marketing plan that works, come to our live workshop in Nashville, Tennessee in May. It's May 19th through the 21st. You can sign up now at storybrand.com. You will leave with a clear message and a marketing plan that will get you results. May 19th through 21st. We would love to see you there. Sign up now. Go to storybrand.com. That's storybrand.com and register today. We're about to go into a recession, likely. I don't think we would. I think we'd just have a slight adjustment, except, sorry, the globe is going into recession. China and Saudi Arabia and, and Europe are all being affected. We're actually outperforming all of them as a sure. country, America is. But sure. it, I'm sorry, it, it's a globalized world. We're going to be affected. If I could ballpark it, it's probably going to be into first quarter of 2020. So we've got a full year to go. And you know nobody likes to predict these things, yeah. but that's basically what auto sales and home sales are telling us. It's probably going to happen. A lot of people would pull out of the market after the decline. If it's 10%, it's a market adjustment. If it's over 20%, you were telling me, this is a recession. That's is right. Is that right? I think there's a couple things that we have to look at. Recessions, uh, let me separate recessions from the market. Gotcha. Right? The markets are often not necessarily, they don't track with recessions. Always, right? So in 2009, things looked really poor. So did things in 2010, and the market was you know, skyrocketing. Right. It was turning around in a rapid way. So they don't correlate necessarily or move together. But what I would say is most investors make the wrong decision at the wrong time. They rely on their emotions. So, And their quote-unquote intuition. And their intuition. Yep. Or the guy on TV who's you know, pressing the big buttons and scaring everybody with sound effects and making everybody you know, freak out. The best thing you can do as a financial, as an investor, is have a long time horizon and don't turn on the financial news, right? <laughs> so Jack Bogle, you know, the founder of Vanguard, who recently passed, legendary investor, said, you know, Tony uh, asked him, how often do you uh, look at your investments? And he said, about once a year, but sometimes I cheat and it's twice a year. <laughs> so uh, there's Warren Buffett, everybody recommends. Because you just got to know over, the, over time. You just got to know. And we've, we're actually really spoiled right now because we've had the longest bull market in history. Mm. Right. So since 2009. Um, so the market has, on average, since 1900, had a correction, which is a 10 percent decline, but not more than 20, a 10 percent decline every year on average, every year on average. And a bear market happens every three to five years on average. What has happened every single time? Every single time the market has shrugged it off and moved on to new highs. Right. Right. Yeah. So to me, I look at the market behavior, short term market behavior is completely irrelevant. We got to look towards long-term market behavior and why it's exciting to be an investor. In well, the here's why I brought up a quote-unquote recession. This year, stocks ended just slightly lower than they did at mm -hmm. the beginning of the year. So, and I think most financial advisors, analysts, were saying that's going to happen, and it, in fact, did happen. If they decline 10%, a lot of people would say, "Hey, get out of the market, put it in something that's safe." 
when really the mentality needs to be stocks just went on sale. That's right. Stocks are the only thing Americans don't like when they're on sale. Yeah. So if you've got right. a you know a million bucks sitting in a checking account and the market crashes, put it all into the market. That's right. You're going to ride it right back up. Yeah. We'll we'll trample each other for a hundred dollar LCD television, but you know <laughs> yes, when the market's on sale, <laughs> steer clear. Legendary investors John Templeton has talked about you know buy when there's blood in the streets. You know, and as Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful, hmm. right? Those are great opportunities. So I think good investors understand how markets behave. They understand that there's those gut checks, but the great investors are the ones that actually buy more stocks when they're down. And I don't say individual stocks. I like owning the top stocks, right? right. right? Yeah. Like a low-cost index fund, like the S&P 500 would represent the top U.S. companies, for example. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, well, there's there's your tax break if you invest in that. I mean, yeah, well, let's let's invest in American companies. Okay. The first question is: Are you an RIA? Are you a fiduciary? Yep. We never got to the second question that we need to ask our financial advisor. And what is that? Yeah. I think the question is: Do you ever make any additional compensation for what you recommend? Right. Ultimately, you want to know how. Do I want to know where. Paid? How are you getting paid? How do you, you know what's pay? amazing to me? I actually sat down. We were with a financial advisor. We're pretty happy with him. But somebody else wanted our business. And I don't even remember it. As a friend, I felt like I was meeting with this uh, advisor because it was a friend of a friend and blah, blah, blah. Pulled up in a $120,000 BMW, <laughs> sits yeah, yeah. down in our dining room, lays it all out, everything. And I finally just said, okay, you know, this is great. One question, how do you get paid? Mm. How do you make money? And she literally said this. She said, I prefer to explain the value I offer you. And oh, I brilliant. thought, you just lost <laughs> the sale. You literally just lost Slide the sale. right there. Yeah, totally. I mean, if I'm doing a deal with somebody, actually the first thing I say is, here's where I want to make a deal with you because here's how I'm going to make money. Now, here's how you're going to make money. That sure. way there's trust. Yeah. You know well, you know, it's a win-win. Let me tell you a hilarious stat that I haven't told you yet. So AARP did a study. 71% of Americans think they pay no fees in their 401k plan. Holy rats. No fees. I mean- And that's because the law doesn't make them explain it. That's right. I want to go back to what we said at the beginning. And that's because the people with the money got the people elected to say, hey, we're going to get you elected. Don't make us tell them what we're doing to them. Yeah, the financial services lobby is pretty strong. Let's put it that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right. So well, this has to change. Okay. Now, I want to talk about Third hope. question. There's a third question. Oh, there's a third? third there were question. three? Yeah, okay, what's three. the third? I added a third on you. <laughs> do, do you sell your own proprietary products, your own name brand products? Gotcha. Right? So in theory, there's thousands of funds and investment options out there. You want your advisor or your 401k provider to be looking at which ones are the best, not which ones that we manufacture and we're going to try to sell you. Yeah. Right? So we know when we walk into Costco, the Kirkland brand is their own, right? But we prefer that our 401k provider have an unbiased, and our financial advisor too, on a personal level, have a completely unbiased the main reason view. the family office we just moved to, they won't sell insurance. I mean, you know, they'll find us somebody. But they yep. do that strictly to be objective in their financial advice. Yeah, that's great. And it's unique. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons we love them. Yeah. Yeah, it took some time to get there. Okay, give us some reason that there is great hope, especially in like the S&P 500. And we're really talking about globalization. Yep. We're really talking about the fact that there is about to be a boom in American products being sold around the world yeah, because think, of what's going on. So like, give us the good news. It comes in two parts. Okay. Okay. I think it's important for us to recalibrate our perspective. Our brains are wired to look for what's wrong, right? I think you talk a lot about this uh, as it relates to marketing. And in investing, I would suggest that our brains are wired for the exact opposite of what we should be doing as a long-term investor, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we have these narratives of nostalgia that things are, you know, not as good as they used to be. 
And I think it's important that you understand the progress we're making because progress also applies to corporations. Yeah. Right? So I, There's you know, economic upside to pr- global progress. Absolutely. What that means is more people out of hand-to-mouth poverty and getting into their own version of the middle class so that they can buy products that we make. That's right. And that's Absolutely. what you want. Absolutely. So you want that to happen in Latin America. You want that to happen in Africa. You want that to happen in Mexico. That's right. You want these people getting money. And if you look just historically how quickly we've come, let's just go 100 years back from where we are today, right? Yeah. 2019, you go to 1919, World War One, 20 million people died. Same year, the Spanish flu infected 500 million people and, and 50, Killed half of Europe. 50 million people in Europe died. Yeah. 200 years ago, 46% of kids didn't make it past five years old. And you look this now- is, This is not that long this ago. Is this is not that long ago. two generations. Yeah, yeah. Not or, generations, but two whatever yeah, yeah. is back, right? As Joe Rogan says, that's like two people ago. Right? People <laughs> live like 80 years, that's like two people ago. It's yeah, not that far. That's a good far, way to say right? it. Yeah. Um, so if you kind of fast forward to the 1980s even, 40%, 40% of the world's population lived in abject poverty. Hmm. Uh, actually, extreme poverty, which is defined as $2 a day. Inflation adjusted, right? Two dollars a day. Now we're under ten percent. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. Life expectancies are exploding. Yeah. When Social Security came out, you could expect benefits at age sixty-five, but the average life expectancy was sixty-three. So it's really <laughs> meant for people who lived yeah. a little bit too long. What are we at now? Seventy something? I uh, know we're way above that. Uh, we're in the eighties now for Which women. Which is part of the big problem yeah. that the country is about to get into. Well, I think actually what we're seeing is we're actually going to see increased life expectancies. So if you were born. This year, you have a three-month greater life expectancy than a baby born last year. That's, That's how quickly life expectancy is exploding. So to me, I look at this, and I think that there's, there's reasons why now is the greatest time in the world to be an investor. Well, and here's why we're saying that. Let's say you mixed your stock. Apple, yep. Amazon, Coca-Cola, you know, S&P 500, you just spread it around a little bit. Many, many more people are about to become consumers. That's right. And that's why, to your point, with... Three billion people coming online with connectivity speeds at 5G. And this is the key. This is why the economy, global economy, is going to boom, and we got to participate because of this. Yeah, because you've got three billion people coming online. 5G connectivity speeds are 10 to 100 times faster than today. And who knows what products that's going to allow to happen? You may never go see a doctor again. in the middle of the plain of Africa will be able to. You know, can you imagine they'll be able to fire up a business in no time? They're going to be able to open their laptop and see the greatest doctors in the world about something going on. That's right. And the level of education, the flattening of the education, you know, uh, curve is amazing. The university I mean, systems have, are going to. Thank God, they, we need. Look, <laughs> yeah. it's the great equalizer. We need smart people in the world. Yeah. Right. So they're not dependent. Thought this was fascinating. SpaceX. Yeah. Just got an FCC clearance for seven thousand low orbit satellites to have this network. Then that's going to create the 5G network. Yeah, that's going to be one of the aspects of the 5G network around the world. It's fascinating. But you're going to have three... Which is going to make Amazon boom. It's going to make Coca-Cola boom. That's right. Apple boom. That's why it's a good time to get in the stock market. Look, even though... In other words, we have not peaked for this reason. Not even close. You you basically have half the world not participating in the economy, right? You have 3 billion people that are going to come online at this speed. You're going to have another 1.2 billion people coming out of extreme poverty moving into the middle class. And what are they going to want? They're going to want to go to Starbucks. They're going to want to buy Nikes. They're going to want to buy an iPhone. Right, our companies will find them, or companies will sprout up to find them. Right, so we have incredible opportunity. You're and seeing none of that is a bad thing. None because of that, that is a bad means thing. hungry people get to eat. That's right, and health. You know, advances yeah. in health and get to eat and food, get to live longer. Right? So there's a just a, a couple really cool things. There's a, a company out of the uh, Silicon Valley that's actually doing agriculture in warehouses. They have an acre warehouse that produces the same amount of food as 30 acres in a normal farm. And they're using 5% of the amount of water. And they can grow anything because it's indoor and it's fully automated by robots. 
Yeah. Now imagine what that would do to farming and food shortages around the world if you could have these, you know, because right now they estimate 50% of the cost of your food at dinner was transportation costs, <laughs> right? Because it came from 3,000 yeah. miles away most yeah. of the time, right? So you're going to have a local it's gonna be amazing. Costco style right. food warehouse. Growing Not fresh only that, food but for uh, Burger King in St. Louis is, I don't know if you heard about this, they're releasing a plant-based burger. Yeah. That nobody can tell the difference between the hamburger and it's much more healthy. Yeah. And it's great for animals. So everybody thinks the world's going to hell, the environment's going to hell, and we hate animals. This the, right. the, we are making major advances and there's some problems all over the place, but things are getting better. That's right. And, and, they, and the trajectory is it's getting better, getting better, getting better. Getting better. It's a great time to invest. Absolutely. And so you've got health advances, you've got CRISPR and gene editing. There's 50,000 genetic disorders in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got 3.2 billion letters in our DNA code, and 30 of the 50,000 of the genetic diseases are because one letter is off. Imagine we could change that with just one gene edit for everybody in terms of health. I mean, we're going to have life expectancies are going to increase, people coming out of poverty, massive amount of people coming into the economy, connectivity speeds rising, yeah. flattening of the agriculture curve. I mean, this, these are all... Very, very, very positive if, if things for the world. We are programmed because bad news travels fast and bad news sells advertising. That's right. We are programmed to think there's a scarcity of resources in the world. There is not. We have a distribution problem in the world, not That's a right. scarcity of resources. I would agree with you. And the upside is huge, and companies who can solve these problems are going to move the world forward. And that means everybody listening, your company can grow. Absolutely. If there's a scarcity of resources, then you should be in decline. Yep. Everybody listening should be in decline. That's not happening. I agree. We can That's grow. It. Yeah. It's a popular narrative that kind of feeds that old tribal it part of ourselves. Stuff. And it Here's certainly the thing. sells it's, stuff. It scares people into buying things. That's true. That yeah. is true. Because there's not a lot left. Rush to the table and grab it. Right. So I think really at the end of the day, financial freedom is 100%. The game is winnable, right, on a lot of levels from everything we just talked about. But I would say that all those caveats that we got to go back to related to Fees, yeah. misguided advice, etc. So you need to own your own future. That's right. And participate um, in your own. You've rescue. got a website. Uh, is it show me the show me the fees? Show me the fees .com. That's right. I haven't been there yet, but the, yeah. But so listeners we'll can go and figure out whether or not yeah. they're getting screwed. So interestingly enough, now that since 2012, now that they have a fee disclosure requirement, they're going to tell you how much they're going to charge you. Most business owners that we talk to have never seen it. <laughs> they don't know where it is. It's usually on the website of your existing provider where you can download it. Just a yeah. PDF. But they're like 30 to 50 pages long and incredibly opaque at best. So what we'll do is we'll do that financial archaeology because we got to dig. And we'll find all the fees that you're paying. And we'll show you for free how much you're paying. So let the data speak for itself. If you're in a great plan, you'll know. Because then you will compare it as to what potential increase could happen for you. What kind of increase. And usually it's a 60 to 70% decrease in your fees. But then more importantly, what does that mean when we compound it out over time? So yeah. most 401k plans are going to recoup hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that would have been lost to fees that you're just simply forfeiting just because of your choice of provider. And that's going to make you, one, better to your team because you're giving them a better retirement and also make you compliant. Yeah. And so you know, and most, yeah, future. you're compliant. And by the way, most business owners, you know, we deal with like a lot of white coats, a lot of doctors, dentists and stuff. They usually are contributing pretty heftily to their plan. So they often represent a good chunk. One more thing that I'll leave with, just because I think it's crucial, is a lot of business owners are looking for max, who are making good money, are looking for maximum tax deductions. Yeah. And a lot of times they feel like the 401k isn't fully sufficient for that. And it's usually not, right? 19000 plus a year. But then you can add profit sharing. Profit sharing gets you up in about $56,000 a year on top of that tax deductible. And then there's a little known thing called a cash balance plan. And a cash balance plan is another type of qualified plan. And when I say qualified, all that means is that it's tax deductible. 
And if you're in your 40s, you said your listener is about mid-40s, they can usually put another hundred dollars to $150,000 a year away into a cash balance plan if it's right for their business. And that's an analysis that, that we would do for them. So you can get a couple hundred thousand dollars of tax deductible contributions beyond just your you know, 401k plan if you're making that kind of money and it's the right plan for your business. But I just find that most business owners are entirely unaware of that. Well, Josh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for shedding a little bit of light on yeah. it. I think there's a little bit of mistrust with everybody, right? Because like, sure. well, you're making money on this, blah, blah, blah. But Josh and I have talked long enough that I think he's actually looking out for the consumer yeah. and looking out for all your people. It bugs me that I love my team. Uh, you know, There's a paternal aspect when you start a company and you've got all these people who are giving you their hearts and their yeah, minds sure. and you kind of go, okay. you know, It's almost like in a way, having kids, like, are they going to be able to get to college? Are they going to be yeah. safe? Are they going to be? <laughs> and the idea that each of them could end up at 65 with a million less dollars, you know, bothers me. Yeah. And I think it should bother us all. So you can find out more at showmethefees.com. That's right. And then where do we find America's Best 401k? Because you told yeah. my buddy who runs a company at lunch, you told him he just finished signing his 401k. You did not like the company that he signed with. Yeah. And you weren't doing a sales job. You were just saying, and he asked, "Can I? is it too late to switch? Can I switch? And you said it wasn't. You could switch. Yeah, you can absolutely switch. So we don't charge people to switch. So a lot of times there's a conversion fee for plan providers. We don't do that. We don't want people to get out. And if you go to americasbest401k.com, and right on the homepage, it says, if your provider's on this list, we can likely reduce your fees by 40 or 50%. Yeah. So you can kind of self-diagnose. And usually I'll tell people right now, if you're with a big giant payroll company or a big insurance company, usually those are oftentimes the great offenders, as we call them. Yeah. And, you know, in the future, because we did open a big loophole here about the the government, Congress basically giving a bunch of tax loopholes to Wall Street and those kinds of things. We need a fiduciary standard is what we really need, Don. Yeah. In 2010, there was a fiduciary standard that was put forth by the Department of Labor it got passed, and when Trump came in office, it got shut down. And here's why everybody listening needs a fiduciary standard. What that means is more money in the pockets of your customers. That's right. So imagine each of your customers, each middle-class family, having $10,000 more that they can spend. How much more money would you make? Hmm. You'd make a lot of money. That's right. And if that money's stuck on Wall Street and you know, incentivizing the growth of American companies, also Chinese companies, also <laughs> all these other companies, it's not going to get to you. No. They can't spend that money. What we need is to reduce the tax breaks on Wall Street. And I'm not saying raise the richest taxes. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying raise the taxes on Wall Street a little bit and reduce the taxes on Main Street and stimulate that part of the economy, the 27 million small businesses, rather than Chinese businesses that are making money and buying Chinese tanks. And if we can can stop these erosive fees from, you know, crumbling these retirement accounts by half, because think about all these people when they run out of money. So just to give you an example, 1%, if you pay 2% in fees or 1% in fees, we talked about the growth. But what we didn't talk about is when they start withdrawing the money, the same person, same performance with 2% in fees will run out of money 10 years sooner. And that, that also translates into you being able to retire 10 years earlier. 10 years earlier. That's exactly right. You get freedom earlier. That's right. You get freedom earlier or it runs out sooner. And then think about the social programs that that now puts the strain on, right? Social security, yeah. your family. So there's so many knock-on effects here that are just... By someone taking some five, 10 minutes of their time to simply understand and uncover their fees, 
and you know participate in their own rescue, if you will. Your future self will yep. thank you, and your future self is coming faster than you think. Yes, it is. <laughs> and we'll live longer than you think. Yeah, that's right. You get a bigger future self. <laughs> Josh, it's a, a complicated conversation. It, yeah, it's fun. Uh, all 12 people who are still listening, congratulations. <laughs> and you know, here's the thing that all 12 people and you and I have in common. We're yeah. total nerds. We just need to admit that. That's right. That's <laughs> but right. hey, trying to save the country, trying to save the middle class. I love uh, it. Josh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. God bless. It was fun. JJ, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and here's the other thing that I love about this. He really talks about the power of consistently doing the same thing. Yes. And being a farmer, planting a field every yep. year, understanding there's going to be down years and there's going to be higher yields in some years, but just consistently doing the same thing. Are you like me? This is something that I've started to notice. My mom lost her entire retirement when Enron collapsed. She mm. worked for an oil company mm-hmm. her entire professional career. Yeah. Her last few years at that company they actually had a program where she could go to get continue education. Yeah. She got her bachelor's and her master's in night school right around the time she turned 60. Yeah. And then she got her master's and then retired. <laughs> That's it. She <laughs> yeah. wasn't going to work anymore. And then Enron collapsed and she lost everything and she had to go get another job, which was actually a huge blessing to her because she ended up working at this design firm called The Design Firm in Houston, Texas, and they do sort of high-end interior design, and she absolutely loved the culture, loved the people, just had a blast. Yeah, yeah. But she lost it all. And then several other friends, parents, right around that time, they made investments in the late 50s and 60s where they put all their retirement in something and lost it. Yeah. It's a common story. Yeah. And I think there's this idea, like toward the end, where you just want to double down and try to retire a little richer. And to me, that's a scary idea. Yeah. And even Betsy, we've been approached with some investment opportunities. On paper, it just sounds so amazing. I don't understand how this works. Yeah. The stock market keeps rising, so we're just going to keep doing that. Yeah. If I understood, I'll invest in StoryBrand all day long because I understand how it works. But, yep. you know, everything else. And so this idea of going with something that has been safe for a very long time, I think is really great. And a 401k is a fantastic tool to do that as long as you're not being ripped off without knowing it with all these fees yeah it is still a winnable system yeah the way he talks about it it makes it hopeful yeah because it really like because you kind of wonder like am i just doomed to like kind of throw money and it's just a chance it's a little bit of a lottery shot you know almost and he makes it really hopeful yeah we all have an opportunity to engage in this process that really sets us up for a brighter future yeah, and ultimately, you know, as the owner of a company, you know, I didn't realize that you'd hire people, you'd give them a job and all that kind of stuff, and that's really great. And then you slowly realize, oh, wait a second, these people are giving you their professional lives. Yeah. Like they're giving yeah. you, and I'm like, oh yeah. gosh, I need to take care of their retirement yeah. and take care of all this kind of stuff. So we have a responsibility to do that too. I think the key is just slow and steady wins the race. Uh, keep making consistent moves, the same as Josh talked about, not getting hijacked by emotions, which, by the way, Leads to our next week's guest. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Susan David wrote a book called Emotional Agility. Yeah. She's at Harvard uh, Medical, I believe. Uh-huh. And she talks about not getting hijacked by emotion, not just in relationships and all that kind of stuff, in finance, in yeah. business. And it's a really wonderful interview. I want to play a little clip just so you don't miss next week's interview with Dr. Susan David. When we feel difficult emotions, We might be in a business environment where we feel like, oh, we've just got to get on with it. We've just got to grit through it. Um, We've just got to be positive. But if we can just show up to the difficult emotion and say, what is it that I'm feeling? 
what we start realizing is that beneath that difficult emotion is often a signpost to the things that we care about. Uh, I've never met someone who is saying, I'm frustrated at work, where the signpost might be, it's because I'm bored and growth is an important value to me. Okay, so you're going to want to pay attention to that. Yeah. You're not going to get hijacked by fees, and you're not going to hijacked by emotions. <laughs> We're the people who keep you from getting hijacked. <laughs> Another good episode. Hopefully this episode made you or saved you some money. If you actually go to showmethefees.com, you'll probably find out that it saved you a ton of money. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy. And creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 